Hey, it's Seeking Plum. So I'm currently reading this book entitled Einstein's Dreams by Alan Lightman, and it's a collection of fictional, well, supposedly stories, but they seem almost too short to be called stories. And if the author's name sounds familiar, that's probably because you heard some of my episodes previously uh, around the book Accidental Universe by Alan Lightman as well. Every single story in this book is centered around the topic of time. And Lightman seems to be a kid in a candy store because he's having heaps and heaps of fun with this. And it's just as much fun, really, to be reading about it. Some of them are just so unexpected, and then others, they really get you to reflect on life. So I just, I want to read you at least one of them. The way they are presented, it's as if Einstein was writing in a journal. So they're simply dated. So fictionally speaking, on April 26, 1905, Einstein wrote this. In this world, it is instantly obvious that something is odd. No houses can be seen in the valleys or plains. Everyone lives in the mountains. At some point in the past, scientists discovered that time flows more slowly the farther from the center of the Earth. The effect is minuscule, but it can be measured with extremely sensitive instruments. Once the phenomenon was known, a few people, anxious to stay young, moved to the mountains. Now all houses are built on Dom, the Matterhorn, Monte Rosa, and other high ground. It is impossible to sell living quarters elsewhere. Many are not content simply to locate their homes on a mountain. To get the maximum effect, they have constructed their houses on stilts. The mountaintops all over the world are nested with such houses, which from a distance look like a flock of fat birds squatting on long skinny legs. People most eager to live longest have built their houses on the highest stilts. Indeed, some houses rise half a mile high on the spindly wooden legs. Height has become status. When a person from his kitchen window must look up to see a, a neighbor, he believes that neighbor will not become stiff in the joints as soon as he, will not lose his hair until later, will not wrinkle until later, will not lose the urge for romance as early. Likewise, a person looking down on another house tends to dismiss its occupants as spent, weak, and short-sighted. Some boast that they have lived their whole lives high up, that they were born in the highest house on the highest mountain peak and have never descended. They celebrate their youth in their mirrors and walk naked on their balconies. Now and then, some urgent business forces people to come down from their houses, and they do so with haste hurrying down their tall ladders to the ground, running to another ladder or to the valley below, completing their transactions, and then returning as quickly as possible to their houses or to other high places. They know that with each downward step, time passes just a little bit faster, and they age a little more quickly. People at ground level never sit. They run while carrying their briefcases or groceries. A small number of residents in each city have stopped caring whether they age a few seconds faster than their neighbors. These adventuresome souls come down to the lower world for days at a time. 
lounge under the trees that grow in the valleys, swim leisurely in the lakes that lie at warmer altitudes, roll on level ground. They hardly look at their watches and cannot tell you if it is Monday or Thursday. When the others rush by them and scoff, they just smile. In time, people have forgotten the reason why higher is better. Nonetheless, they continue to live on the mountains to avoid sunken regions as much as they can, to teach their children to shun other children from low elevations. They tolerate the cold of the mountains by habit and enjoy the discomfort as part of their breeding. They have even convinced themselves that thin air is good for their bodies and following that logic have gone on spare diets, refusing all but the most gossamer foods. At length, the populace have become thin like the air, bony, old before their time. I, I found this so sad because every decision they made and everything they did in their lives was built around a discovery that they didn't seem to fully understand because the differences in time were so minuscule, so small, that they really, really had no effect on the, the, the length of their lives, their health, or anything like that. And yet they were determined to live in such a way that it did. They built up this huge foundation with all of these huge, you know, solid stones around this idea and said, this is it. This is the way this works. And this is how we will live. This is how we will judge each other. And this is how we will measure ourselves. They somehow determined that those infinitesimally small measures of time mattered. And even mo more so between your house that is maybe a foot higher than my house, or say maybe an inch difference. It, it, it boggles the mind. And you may say that this is just a story and why am I so focused on it? But I think it's a reflection of life. We can take the most minor detail and build something around it and plant our flag and say, this, this is what I believe, or this is how it is. And it could be around belief, it could be around opinion, it could be around the judgment about someone else. It could be how we define certain words, things like a success, like we talked about in the last episode, or, or any, any number of words. And something as simple as that, we might say, is just definition. But, but how we define, how we look at those words, has consequences, has ramifications into the rest of our, our lives and how we move forward. Even how we see each other, how we interact with each other. Something I've been thinking about lately is that there, there's no constant in life except change. And we can pick out those small details if we really want to. We can build up this 
foundation, if you will, um, of, of these assumed solid rock foundations around those ideas, plant our flag and say, this is it, you know, but it doesn't take anything for one of those seemingly rock solid stones to crumble to sand and for that wall to start crumbling. And then we can almost feel like our world is coming apart. But if we don't cling to something and say that it has to be this way or that is the way it must be, so letting go of the shoulds and expectations and and maybe being more open and, and embracing that we don't we just we don't know we don't know so much i mean these people in this story and i realize it's a story but again i think it's a reflection these people thought that if they lived in these high places that their lives would be longer i mean as a result they changed their diet they are breathing thinner air and it took a toll it really took a toll but those who are on the ground are living more full lives more relaxed lives they don't have the same concerns because they're simply being in the moment and it's a different it's a different existence altogether I want to read you one more of these tales and it looks at letting go of those details, letting go of the shoulds and expectations and what we think is appropriate, what we should be doing and, and looks at things just a little differently. Okay, so here's a bit of a disclaimer up front. There are a lot of names in this um, that I cannot pronounce, and each attempt I butcher them miserably, so I'm just, I'm gonna leave them out, okay? Or I'm gonna edit them to some degree. So this particular tale is dated May 8th, 1905. The world will end on 26 September 1907. Everyone knows it. In Bern, it is just as in all cities and towns. One year before the end, schools close their doors. Why learn for the future with so brief a future? Delighted to have lessons finished forever, children play hide and seek in the arcades, run down the street and skip stones on the river squander their coins on peppermint and licorice. Their parents let them do what they wish. One month before the end, business is closed. The Bundeshaus halts its proceedings. The Federal Telegraph Building falls silent. Likewise, the watch factory, the mill. What need is there for commerce and industry with so little time left? At the outdoor cafes, people sit and sip coffee and talk easily of their lives. A liberation fills the air. Just now, for example, 
A woman with brown eyes is speaking to her mother about how little time they spent together in her childhood when the mother worked as a seamstress. The mother and the daughter are now planning a trip to Lucerne. They will fit two lives into the little time remaining. At another table, a man tells a friend about a hated supervisor who often made love to the man's wife in the office coat room after hours and threatened to fire him if he or his wife caused any trouble. But what is there to fear now? The man has settled with the supervisor and reconciled with his wife. Relieved at last, he stretches his legs and lets his eyes roam over the Alps. At the bakery, the thick-fingered baker puts his dough in the oven and sings. These days, people are polite when they order their bread. They smile and pay promptly, for money is losing its value. They chat about picnics, cherish time listening to their children's stories, long walks in mid-afternoon. They do not seem to mind that the world will soon end, because everyone shares the same fate. A world with one month is a world of equality. One day before the end, the streets swirl in laughter. Neighbors who have never spoken greet each other as friends strip off their clothes and bathe in the fountains. Others dive in the river. After swimming until exhausted, they lie in the thick grass along the bank and read poetry. A barrister and a postal clerk who have never met before walk arm in arm through the garden, smile at the flowers, discuss art and color. What do their past stations matter? In a world of one day, they are equal. In the shadows of a side street, a man and a woman lean against a wall, drink beer, and eat smoked beef. Afterwards, she will take him to her apartment. She is married to someone else, but for years she has wanted this man, and she will satisfy her wants on this last day of the world. A few souls gallop through the streets doing good deeds, attempting to correct their misdeeds of the past. Theirs are the only unnatural smiles. One minute before the end of the world, everyone gathers on the grounds. Men, women, and children form a giant circle and hold hands. No one moves. No one speaks. It is absolutely quiet that each person can hear the heartbeat of the person to his right or his left. This is the last minute of the world. In the absolute silence, a purple flower in the garden catches a light on the underside of its blossom, glows for a moment, then dissolves among the other flowers. Behind the museum, the needled leaves of a larch gently shudder as a breeze moves through the tree. Farther back through the forest, the river reflects sunlight, bends the light with each ripple on its skin. To the east, the Tower of St. Vincent's rises into the sky, red and fragile, its stonework as delicate as veins of a leaf, and higher up the Alps snow-tipped, blending white and purple, large and silent. A cloud floats in the sky, a sparrow flutters, no one speaks. In the last seconds, it is as if everyone has leaped off Topaz Peak, holding hands. The end approaches like approaching ground. 
Cool air rushes by, bodies are weightless, the silent horizon yawns for miles, and below, the vast blanket of snow hurtles nearer and nearer to envelop this circle of pinkness and life. There is a, a lovely sentiment to this story, but the cynic in me is not quite ready to buy into it, because I'm not really sure that we would follow in the footsteps of these fictional characters. I think that to some degree we'd understand that money would lose its value, but would we, would we seek out the better, kinder side of ourselves or our baser instincts. I'm not, I'm not sure. Obviously, we have not faced the end of the world. <laughs> and hopefully, and we won't anytime soon. But I do think that many of us have faced um, terrible, terrible weather. And that does create a sort of a sort of equalizing situation to some extent. And at that point, we no longer look at a person's job or a person's car, their political views, you know, um, all of those things. They, they become less important. We look less at um, the shoulds of and expectations and instead look at how can we reach out a hand to help but it is temporary right it's not an expectation that it's going to be long term i think it's a lovely thought to think that any sort of community or a group of people or even humanity as a whole would behave in such a way but I think that a more realistic or uh, a lovelier thought is that we face something like this uh, and it's inevitable. All of us face the end, you know, that transition or passing on or whatever you want to call it. We all face that at some point. If we see it coming, that is when we start to evaluate past relationships or past wrongs or any regrets we have, things that we can change or address. And if we don't see it coming, then, then we can't. Unfortunately, a lot of the time it takes that, that end point in sight or being faced with somebody else's um, passing to be reminded that we are going to, at some point, face it, to remember that, that we have choices and we can choose to live our lives as we are or differently. I think time is funny, right? Because we're either saying, I don't have enough time, I'm running out of time, or we say, ugh. I have plenty of time. I can do that next year, next month, 
you know, or I've got a five-year plan. I'll do that in year five. And if I don't get to it in year five, I'll do it in year six. But I think the funny thing is, is that in both cases, there is this obsession with time, so much so that we actually lose sight of what it is we want to do, what we want to accomplish, what it is we value. Because if we were so concerned and we thought we were running out of time, then every single moment, right now, we would be soaking it up, we would be just reveling in it, right? Making the most of it and making them quality moments because we think we don't have many of them ahead. But instead we're running around saying, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time. So I have to cram all of these things in. But in trying to cram them all in, are they quality or is it just quantity? And then on the other end, when we think or assume there is an abundance of time and well, we can chill because we're going to get there, you know, or we're going to fit it in, then there is not, there's no urgency, there is no importance on this moment or the next because there is a plan, maybe there's not, but there is an assumption of time. So there is no concern for making sure that this moment or that moment is of the utmost value because I've got tomorrow. Now that I think about it, it sort of makes me think that time is one of those minuscule details that we focus so closely on and build up our ideas around like the first story, that we lose focus on what it is that's important. We've planted our flag right here and say, in order to be successful, I must get all of these things done. In order to make sure my family is the best they can be, they must be able to X, Y, or Z. And so we must be able to cram all of these things in. Or because of the foundation and the, the fortress I have built and the beliefs I have, I've got plenty of time. I'm gonna spend a few hours here watching this on Netflix, a few hours there on Facebook, and on and on, and before we know it, we never made that trip. We never took that picnic. We never spent time with that friend. Never had that great conversation. There are so many things we missed out on all because of one tiny detail of how we defined the word time. Whether we had a lot of it or a little of it and what we wanted to do with it.
coming up some great observations from MOMAC attack and a request from Georgie D that I think I just might be able to oblige. Hey, what's up, Seeking Plum? I wanted to comment. It's Mo here. I wanted to comment on that story, the Albert Einstein one, The Dreams, where it's really not just a story dream-wise. I mean, or, or was it time? Oops, maybe I got them crossed. I mean, there's two, there's two really great lessons. No, 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 it's, it's the dream one, where the people living atop houses to, to be, you know, live longer. We're doing the same thing ourselves right now. It's such a reflection. I mean, with us living in the city, and we've got all these transportation things to make our life easier, elevators, cars, whatever, but then we have to go to the gym and walk up invisible stairs to get the exercise benefits that we've actually worked out of our lives. And the same could be said for food, with artificial this and that, and we have nothing that's natural. I mean, it's so right now and here i am again of course on the time one which i think was a beautiful follow-up to the other story and we could learn so much the one thing that i think is just glorious about that is that i'm gonna have to go with the joker on this in some sense and i never knew exactly what he meant in the dark knight but one of his, um, just one of his greatest lines was, you know, people really show you who they are before they die. And yes, I think that's true. That one, you know, in that moment that you know that you're going to die, you reveal your true self. And although that story was nice and good and full of love and stuff, would most people be that good? Seeking Plum, I really enjoyed this episode on time, particularly because you read us a story and you do this quite well. So I have a little request. I really like that story and I'm imagining that I like the other stories from the same author. Can you read us another one? It doesn't have to be in this episode. But yeah, I I like people reading me books. (laughs) I've started a movement on Anchor where people are reading books. It's great. It's so personal. You know, yesterday, Miss Seeking Plum, I was doing my tax online and I thought to myself, how many days are there in a year? 365, right? And then I thought, hang on, is that true? You know how sometimes you just, your brain goes blank and you're not sure? Well, I looked it up. It's not exactly 365, it's 365 point something something. How's that? About a month ago, I did an episode called Have We Reduced Ourselves to Common Computers? About authentic thinking and simulated thinking and learning. And what follows is a call from Conrad Rocks. And he gives a perfect example of memorization versus learning. And a quote comes to mind by, I believe it was Pablo Picasso, and he said, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. And I think this really speaks to that. I I wanted to say thanks, Conrad. Um, I do a lot of thinking, and my goal here is to share those thoughts in an endeavor to hopefully... um, learn from other people and to to bring others alongside and to spark conversation.
because I don't think we travel this journey of life alone. And I'm better, I know, for the conversations that we have. And I just, again, wanted to say thanks for your call. I really love what you're doing on Anchor. You're getting people to really think and examine themselves. I want to echo that memorization is not learning. Uh, I memorized many formulas in physics and forgot all of them that I did not understand. Um, I read a book one time, I think it was called Understanding Physics by Isaac Asimov. And he, he, he gave the backstory on the formulas and then I understood them. And then after you understand them, you never forget them. You know why they work. And that is true learning. Keep up the good work. If you're listening outside of Anchor and you'd like to interact, I recently created an email address, seekingplumpodcast at gmail.com. For clarification, that is S-E-E-K-I-N-G-P-L-U-M-B, podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter, Instagram, medium.com, all under Seeking Plum. I'd love to hear from you, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. And as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, you heard music from Vortex entitled Snowflake, available from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. The details can be found in the episode description.